Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a pro-life activist, Jennifer Christie, is facing a credibility crisis after aspects of her dramatic testimony are not standing up to scrutiny. Also, when a major ministry saw a 50% drop in revenue, it had to ask some hard questions about how it was doing things. But Cross International is back, and it's a case study in how to make a strategic shift. We begin today with more news from the Southern Baptist Convention. The sex abuse scandal in the SBC brings us almost daily news, and we'll have some updates. Yeah, our first update from the SBC is news that the leaders at the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee have released a formerly secret list of sexual abusers, which had been kept by SBC staff since 2007. Now, the 205-page list includes details about 700 cases of abuse by pastors, Sunday school teachers, camp counselors, music ministers, bus drivers, and missionaries, with about 400 of them tied to SBC churches from Alaska to Alabama. In almost all of the cases, the abuse had led to arrest and jail time. According to a description from Guidepost Solutions, the firm that uncovered the list as part of a multi-million dollar investigation into how the SBC leaders dealt with abuse, this list began as a research project for an SBC committee back in 2007. Yeah, and that's ironic, some would say even troubling, because for years the SBC had maintained that there was no such database. When the list was started in 2007, it had only about 66 names on it, and of course it has grown year by year to its current size with more than 700 names. Uh, The names were given to August Augie Boto, who was a longtime staff lawyer with the SBC, who spent years trying to shield the denomination from any liability for abuse, according to the Guidepost report. The database idea was originally rejected by the executive committee in 2008, largely on Boto's advice. Even so, the unnamed staffer continued to update the list until recently. Warren, I know you've read through this list. I mean, with more than 200 pages and 700 names, we obviously can't go into um, you know a lot of detail re- revolving the list name by name or page by page. But what did you find significant in your examination? Well, first of all, a number of pretty prominent SBC megachurches uh, have dealt with abuse. Among the abusers on the list were a pair of former ministers from Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, which is led by former SBC President Jack Graham, an associate pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church near Memphis, which is led by SBC former SBC President Steve Gaines. I should also add that both Graham and Gaines had been accused of mishandling these allegations, though it's something that Jack Graham has long denied. What else? Well, one of the things that jumped out at me was the fact that the names on this list 
were those of abusers who had already been convicted of sex crimes or those who had confessed to adultery or inappropriate behavior. In other words, this list is possibly just the tip of the iceberg. It contains only or mostly those names that we already knew about. Uh, It doesn't, for example, include the names of those who may have been credibly accused of behavior that would disqualify that person from ministry, but it didn't rise to the level of criminal wrongdoing. So does that mean that some of these men are still active in ministry? Well, apparently some of them are. Uh, Yeah, Uh, as part of the Guidepost investigation, its staff discovered that nine of the people included on this list may still be active in ministry, including two who have ties to an SBC church. Those churches have been reported to the SBC's Credentials Committee, which does have the power to recommend that those churches be expelled from the Southern Baptist Convention. The release of this list wasn't the only news the SBC made in the past week. That's right. A Southern Baptist task force has asked the denomination to set up what it calls a ministry check website to track abusive pastors, church employees, and volunteers, and to spend millions of dollars on reforms to prevent abuse and to care for the survivors. Now, most of the suggested reforms, though, are voluntary. Some could involve years of study and preparation, prompting a skeptical response from some abuse survivors and advocates. Those requests for reforms were released on Wednesday of this week, uh, June the 1st, and they also include a hiring a national staff person who would receive reports of abuse and forward them to church leaders for a response. Among the other recommendations were increased training for church leaders, doing background checks on the trustees who oversee Southern Baptist institutions, such as seminaries, for example, and encouraging state conventions to consider hiring staff to respond to abuse allegations. How are the survivors responding to these recommendations? Well, they're saying that they're not enough, especially, as I mentioned, because most of them are voluntary. Krista Brown is an abuse uh, survivor and a longtime activist within the SBC. Uh, She called the task force's recommendations disappointing. She added this, I don't give much credence to suggestions and requests because they are toothless. She believes the SBC is simply kicking the can down the road. Let's take a look at one more story before we take a break. It's the story of a pro-life celebrity whose story may be unraveling. Yeah, 2022 was supposed to be a big year for Jennifer Christie and her ministry, Love Louder. Her story of giving birth to a child conceived through rape was set to be published in a book from Focus on the Family and Tyndale, and she had signed a contract with Ambassador Speakers Bureau as well. But now the book and the speaking contract are on hold, and Abby Johnson, the pro-life speaker and author whose story was told in the 2019 movie Unplanned, has switched from being one of Jennifer Christie's most visible supporters to publicly criticizing her and warning people away from supporting her financially. So what are her critics saying? 
Well, Abby Johnson uh, wrote in a Facebook post, and I'm quoting here, I don't want anyone to think she is credible because I at one point in time affiliated with her and her organization. Uh, Johnson went on to say that she had, and again, I'm reading from her Facebook post, serious concerns that have come up regarding Jennifer Christie's story uh, she has publicly shared. Our concerns have been confirmed by irregular and potentially fraudulent financial activity committed inside the nonprofit by Jennifer. I should also add that a number of board members have resigned from Jennifer Christie's ministry, citing a lack of confidence in her story, as well as concerns about unexplained financial activities. What does Jennifer Christie herself say about this controversy? Well, our reporter Steve Raby reached out to her, and uh, she would not agree to an interview, and she initially declined to provide documentation of her alleged rape, such as police reports or court documents. She went on to say that she would provide some documents to us, but they were not for public consumption. Instead, she accused Ministry Watch of being biased and working for Abby Johnson. And I should say just for the record that Ministry Watch does not work for uh, Abby Johnson, Tyndale, or Focus on the Family. We take no money from any ministry, and we are completely uh, independent regarding the ministries that we cover. Christie also said that she was betrayed by the mainstream Christian machine. Yeah, I think she may be referring to both Abby Johnson and to focus on the family. Uh, Christie's story was featured in an August 2020 Focus on the Family broadcast with CEO Jim Daly. It was called Choosing Life After Rape and a focus video called Sometimes the Choice is Hard. But Focus on the Family has subsequently deleted both of those resources from their website. So what's the bottom line here? Well, Jennifer Christie's ministry is Love Louder, and given the recent allegations, donors, I think, should be rightly skeptical about giving money to the ministry until uh, she has produced more significant documentation for the claims that she's been making. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, churches continue to offer Ukraine relief and a major Christian ministry is making a comeback. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after the short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Our next story is about Cross International, a large ministry that is one of the biggest ministries that most people have never heard of. Yeah, Cross International is, you know, not one of those ministries that has a big public-facing 
um, operation, sort of like, you know, World Vision or Compassion International or Billy Graham. But it is big. It's a Florida-based ministry providing international relief and development support in 12 countries, mostly in Latin America. And it recently earned an eighth-place spot on Ministry Watch's list of the 50 largest missions and Bible translation organizations in the country. But the organization had fallen six places from its number two ranking last year due to a pretty significant decline in revenue. In fact, its revenue topped $100 million, about $104 million back in 2017, but it had fallen steadily to $52 million just two years later. That's a huge drop. It fell by half in just three years. Yeah, it did. And honestly, when I see a ministry that has had that sort of a precipitous decline in revenue, I do get curious. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is a bad thing. I I don't think that big is beautiful uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but we thought it was worth a closer look. So I asked our reporter, Shannon Cuthrell, to dig in and see what she could find. And what did she find? For one thing, she found that the ministry had made something of a recovery. Its revenue was back up in the most recent year to about $83 million. That's revenue numbers that had not yet been fully disclosed because of lag times in the Form 990s getting up on the IRS website. Now, that's still far short of its high point in 2017, but it is a pretty significant rebound. But perhaps even more significantly, the ministry says it has undergone a significant strategic shift in its work. Yeah, starting in early 2019, Cross International started to put more emphasis on community transformation, a program aimed to alleviate poverty within three target areas, orphans and vulnerable children, crisis care, and children with disabilities. Now, those efforts include everything from agricultural improvements and access to clean well water and nutritious food, school scholarships and support, providing medical aid and supplies to its partner clinics and hospitals, a very targeted effort, in other words. So is that what caused the drop in giving? Well, with that change in strategy, the ministry's leadership decided that some of the ways it was raising money uh, needed to change. That, For example, they were taking a lot of gifts in kind before that, given that new strategy, they were just not able to use in as efficient a way as they were in the past. Um, So they changed their operations to make gift-in-kind revenue different than the way it was in the past. And that's one of the reasons why revenue fell, but now is on its way back up again. So the drop in revenue wasn't a bad thing, but it was a sign. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, it's actually fascinating from my point of view to see how a $100 million a year ministry, in other words, not a small ministry, but a big ministry that's been around in a while, can take a look in the mirror and say, hey, you know something? We need to reinvent ourselves. Not a lot of ministries or leaders have the courage to do that. It's something you just don't see often is because it does take courage. And it's something that we'd like to see more of, as a matter of fact, as you know, technology and generational leadership changes are really creating some very significant shifts in the way ministry is being done. And by the way, I should just add, uh, Natasha, that I've just touched on some of the very hot points of this story. Uh, I really recommend to our listeners that they go to Shannon Cuthrell's story at the Ministry Watch website. It's right on the front page. It's about Cross International. 
That is a really cool story. Unfortunately, this next one that we have doesn't quite have the same happy ending. No, it doesn't. An Oklahoma City woman has been charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft for allegedly embezzling more than $360,000 from a California church where she was an administrator for about five years. Chanel Esten is charged with stealing money from the food pantry and youth ministry at an unidentified Yuba City Church from 2013 to 2018. Yeah, the federal indictment alleges that uh, Easton opened five business credit card accounts in the church's name without the church's knowledge or authorization and used them as well as a credit card issued to the church's youth pastor to make personal purchases at a hair salon, retail stores, online retailers, a vacation rental service, and concert venues. Then she used the church's money to pay off the credit card balances. You have to wonder how such activities could continue for five years without someone figuring it out. Well, you're, you're right, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to feature this story, because it's a reminder uh, that churches and ministries need financial checks and balances in place, including annual audits. Now, an audit doesn't guarantee that this sort of fraud won't happen, uh, but it does increase the likelihood that someone will get caught uh, before it goes on year after year and causes this kind of significant damage. What's going to happen in this case? Well, if convicted, Chanel Easton faces a maximum of 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine for each count of wire fraud and a mandatory two-year sentence on each count of aggravated identity theft. So she could face a very long time in prison. Warren, we continue to get daily reports in the mainstream media about the war in Ukraine. However, it's been a few weeks since we featured Ukraine on the podcast, but the needs continue and the efforts of churches continue as well. Yeah, that's right. And we've uh, got a couple of news stories on the Ministry Watch site this week that highlight some great work by churches here in the U.S. to support uh, Christians in Ukraine. Can you give us some examples? Well, I can. Uh, the town of Chernovitsa, Ukraine, which is in the western part of the country, is about 25 miles from the Romanian border. And that makes this western Ukrainian city, which hasn't yet had to endure any attacks from Russia, uh, a place of respite for many of the uh, refugees that are fleeing the country, but also many of the aid workers who are trying to get into the country as well. In fact, about 60,000 displaced people who have fled from the east have ended up in this town. Hundreds of them have found a temporary home at the meeting place of Chernovitsa Church of Christ in that city. The church is also a respite for Christians from other parts of Europe who came here to deliver aid. Yeah, and on a recent Saturday morning, you could see strollers on the church's porch waiting uh, distribution to families in need. And next to them were boxes of Ukrainian and Russian language Bibles awaiting transport uh, into Romania, uh, where refugees have requested them, refugees that have actually fled Ukraine. Inside the, uh, the church were mattresses and blankets. They were all lining up in the auditorium. About 30 displaced people lived live there now at any given moment, but they actually come and go so frequently as they are either making the trust 
westward to flee the fighting or eastward to aid in the folks that have been displaced by the fighting, that in reality, over just a matter of a few weeks, literally hundreds of people have called that church home, at least temporarily. So, you know, it's a pretty inspiring, but also a sobering story of what Christians are facing in Ukraine. And you can read more about it on our website. Well, Warren, we have to take another quick break, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, we've rolled over to a new month. It is now June, and we have a couple of new lists on our site. First of all, we have the list of the 10 most read stories at the Ministry Watch uh, website right now. It's right on the front page. And we also feature a list of the 30 largest Christian advocacy organizations in the United States. And the ministry on the top of the list, the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews, or IFCJ, is actually not a Christian ministry at all. It doesn't have a Christian statement of faith, and it is not led by Christian leaders, even though there are a few Christians on the board of directors. But we include it on the list because it advertises heavily, in fact, spends millions of dollars on Christian radio and television and digital platforms, and evangelicals give the ministry tens of millions of dollars every year. But you've warned against giving to the ministry in the past. Yeah, we have, and that's why we keep it on our list of Christian ministries, even though, as I said, it doesn't have a Christian statement of faith. It's because we want to highlight that this group, um, while it is not a Christian ministry, really is so effective at advertising an evangelical audience that they can just raise money there, and we think donors should know that. They should know who they're giving to and know that it is not, in fact, a Christian ministry. And there's a new feature on the site, the question of the week. What is that? Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of um, uh, years ago, I started getting these emails from this guy named Don Kramer. And at first, I thought they were just spam or junk emails, but then I started reading them, and they were just fascinating. And Don Kramer is a real expert in nonprofit law. And every week, he uh, publishes a question of the week along with his answer. And I have come to depend upon those questions, and I thought, boy, what a great way to 
you know, kind of make Don's work available to our audience. So I inquired and asked, and he said, sure. Two weeks ago, we published our first question. We now um, are into the second week, and we're going to, you know, pretty much publish a question a week along with Don's answer. The question this week is one for leaders of Christian ministries. It's what does DNO insurance cover? DNO, by the way, means directors and officers. Most organizations have DNO liability insurance, and it's a Really kind of a great primer for those that are in ministry leadership, and I really recommend Don Kramer's Question of the Week. Yeah, that sounds like a really great resource. Now, do you have any other final thoughts before we go? Well, just for those who care about such things, I was on Newsmax this week to discuss the Southern Baptist Church's abuse scandal, and I'll have a link uh, to my appearance in the show notes for today's program. And finally, I want to let everybody know that this program just simply wouldn't exist without the support of people like you, those who are listening today. We have we get no money from the ministries we cover. Our fiscal year, though, does end this month, June 30th, and I would like to tell you that we're running a little bit behind in our fundraising this year. So it'd be really great to have a strong June so we can get ourselves back on track for the year. If you'd like to help with that effort, you can just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And maybe to make it a little easier for you to decide, we'll send you a copy of a book that I wrote with Christian journalism legend Marvin Alasky. That book is called Prodigal Press, Confronting the Anti-Christian Bias of the American News Media. A gift of any size this month, we'll send you that book for free as our thank you. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Donald Kramer, Eric Trangestad, Ann Stike, Shannon Cuthrill, Steve Raby, Bob Smetana, and you, Warren. Special thanks to The Christian Chronicle for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.